Welcome to the Esports Coaching Essentials Podcast, where we share stories and strategies to help level up your career and business. Powered by Coachify.gg, providing all of the tools you need to run your esports coaching business. Track your students, inspire them to succeed, and turn your passion into profit. Sign up for free today. Today I'm interviewing Reese Williams, aka Coach Kaibet, currently an esports lecturer at HSDC Havent and South Downs College. He also coaches through Gamer Sensei and provides videos through Skill Captain. Reese, thanks for joining us today. Hey, nice to be here. Thank you, thank you. So, why don't we start off by you telling us about your current job as an esports lecturer? Yep. So, at the moment, I'm working as a uh, the lead lecturer at Haven and South Downs uh, as basically somebody from the industry to come in and kind of help to navigate the startup of the esports qualification that will be live in September. Uh, so at the moment, my role is to come in, make sure that there's those correct connections made between industry professionals and HSDC, and then to also make sure that the content that is going to be uh, taught is actually relevant to the industry so that those uh, students can go from the college and, you know, if they don't aspire to go into university or they want to just jump straight into the scene, they'll have tools that a lot of us didn't really have when uh, we started out with esports being uh, such a kind of new <laughs> industry. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that's fantastic. I, it's so awesome to see, you know, programs like that that are really getting started and giving people like an actual kind of official introduction into the scene rather than just, you know, people struggling blindly along trying to break in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's to be honest, it's been needed for a very long time, and obviously the UK, I would say, is a little bit behind. Um, for example, America has had these kind of scholarships and stuff like that for a much longer period of time. And then if you look at things like the kind of Asian regions, they have even more infrastructure, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like the Western world is trying to catch up to. Uh, the Asian scene or the kind of Eastern world of esports where it's a lot more established, but I think slowly we're, we're definitely getting there. Absolutely. So tell us then, how did you get into gaming and then into esports? So, I mean, into gaming, uh, I mean, that was a long time ago. So I think actually the first game I started playing, I was about... God, I'd say as young as maybe nine or ten, um, and that was actually RuneScape. So oh, wow. originally, yeah, originally I got into RuneScape, uh, and that was kind of like the first real game, especially because you know it was free to play online game as mm -hmm. well. I actually, remember the only way I had access because I didn't have internet in my house until maybe I was about twelve or thirteen was I'd actually go to my sister's house. Uh, and while I was there, I'd actually use her PC to play RuneScape for a few hours here and there. And so that was actually my first introduction to gaming, which eventually, fun fact, I actually became rank one on RuneScape for a solid about, I think it was about something like 11 minutes. So, <laughs> you know, just saying. Um, so, yeah, that was where I started. And then I got into console gaming. Um, I actually came... Towards the end, well, I'd, I'd say after the COD 4 era, uh, mm -hmm. I, I missed that entirely because uh, I didn't have internet. But then I came in 
I'd say towards the end of Modern Warfare 2, uh, that was kind of the first thing that got me hooked. Uh, I just loved that game so much, and then when Modern Warfare 3 came out, I got hooked to that even more, uh, and ended up playing that a ridiculous amount, ended up with some competitive gamers, stuff like that, and started getting a, a kind of taste for competitive, mm-hmm. uh, and then from there, I was like, okay, uh, I, I I really like competitive gaming, and then that's kind of what really started that off, I'd say. Fantastic. So then, once you got into kind of competitive gaming, did you start off first as a player, or did you start off more as a coach? Yeah, so I was actually originally, I started off as a player, like, obviously, I'm not gonna uh, make out that I was, like, like the 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 predecessor to Faker or anything, you know, but... <laughs> Uh, I did kind of start playing COD, uh, not really in kind of a big competitive scene because it didn't really exist back then, but just kind of kind of competitive public games, stuff like that, um, you know, just to kind of see, see the waters. Then eventually when I got to college, um, a guy that I actually met or a group of friends that I met in college um, recommended that I play a... a a little game called League of Legends. So that was kind of where that started. Um, and fun fact, when I actually first downloaded League of Legends, I hated it. Like, I hated it. I was 16. I, th- I think I was 16 when I first downloaded it, uh, which I think was in season two or season, might have even been season one or mm-hmm. early season two. And I disliked the game so much that I completely just ignored it. I didn't play it. I went back to RuneScape, and that was kind of it. And then I tried it again towards the end. Uh, actually, this was towards the end of Season 2, and then I was like, okay, I do like this a bit. Um, and didn't really play competitive for a while still. Um, I just stuck to casual games, stuff like that. And then it wasn't until, I think it was maybe Season 4, so around 2014, that I actually started playing ranked in league. Uh, I, I started in bronze. You know, I was I was mm-hmm. at the bottom, but uh, I didn't play all that much. But I, I was down there. Uh, and then I think season five, I hit gold for the first time, uh, and I was like, okay, this is pretty fun. I got stuck there for the entirety of season five, and then uh, season six, I think as well. So I was gold for both of those seasons. And then in season seven. I think I was stuck gold for the majority of the season, and then I ended up, I think in the first year of university, I'd gone to a gaming kind of gaming arena in Cardiff, uh, where they were doing league tournaments, and uh, one of the funniest stories I remember, uh, we had a friend who was platinum at the time, and we thought that was super impressive, like, I mean, it is pretty impressive, (laughs) right? Like... So uh, I'm not going to discredit that, but we ended up thinking, oh, this, our friend is platinum. We're going to have such a, a a good chance at this tournament. It's going to be so fun. And I remember we were sat in the kind of little lounge area and a guy came up to us. I think his name was Alex. And he was talking to us. He was like, oh, so what are you guys ranked? Stuff like that. And we were like, oh, okay, well, I'm like gold, you know, nothing crazy. And uh, we we're like, oh, our friend here is platinum though. He was like, oh, platinum, that's impressive. We we're like, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he started walking away, and we were like, oh, well, what, what rank are you for, for example? He was like, oh, oh I'm challenger. <laughs> and we were like, what? He was like, yeah, 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 I've been challenger for like two, three seasons. Um, and all of a sudden, it was like we had this god amongst men, like walking around. We were like, this guy is insane. Like, And then we found out his team had multiple challenger players on it. And I was like, I've never been in the same room as a challenger player. Never, well, I've never spoke to a challenger player at that point, right? Never mind playing in a tournament. And granted, we got completely dismantled. Yep. Uh, I, I don't even think we got to play against his team. We got dismantled <laughs> by a, by like a platinum team like way before his. Uh, but, you know, it was a fun experience. And a few years later, I actually went back to that gaming arena because I moved very close to there and I was like okay I'll, I'll go again and sign up as like a free agent and then I actually met a friend there um, who he was we've just really really got on well um, mm-hmm. and we ended up playing a tournament which uh, wasn't done as well as the previous one for <laughs> for example they actually we didn't have a player because they dropped out when they said they'd find us one more um and they actually like i i wish i was joking about this they went on the street and they literally found someone on the street and asked them if they played league and they were like yeah yeah i used to play and and they got them to come to the tournament we couldn't believe it wow Uh, and then this this guy was on our team and don't don't get me wrong he was a nice guy and all but uh i remember he was walking out of base with no items and we were like oh you you didn't buy items like did you forget like you know common everybody's done it at some point Uh, and then he was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I'll go back. And we're like, yeah, just recall. And he didn't know how to recall. Oh. So, uh, so, so we're like, uh, this this guy doesn't actually play League. Uh, and he never did because that's one of the basics. Like, that's the basic of the basic, right? So we're like, oh, God. So my friend actually, to be fair, kicked up a bit of a fuss. Uh, and we ended up like not playing it. But then he messaged me, I think maybe a week or two later, because he'd actually been coaching me. Like he'd been, you know, mm-hmm. playing with me and, and kind of looking over my games with me and you know, yep. going like, you know, this is, and he was like diamond at the time. So he was pretty good at the game. Um, and especially compared to me, he was like gold at the time. And slowly, you know, he was teaching me stuff like that. And he was like, oh, you should come to this tournament. It's by a, a really big organization um in the uk that has a lot of kind of arenas and stuff around the uh, the country uh and i was like yeah sure why not uh like well what's the harm so we went just as two uh, and we ended up getting put on a team with with three of the guys um and it was basically a if you want the spot to represent the city you need to beat the team that are currently representing the city and um, so we played Two games against them, and the first game we actually won. Which, considering we were we were players that you know had never really yep. played together and stuff like that, we we're like, okay, this is this is big. Second game they won, um, but then they had to close the store because it was getting closer to closing time. So they're like, okay, come back on Monday, you'll play the final game. Whoever wins that game gets a spot. And then that weekend, the bot lane and support from the team that we beat actually messaged us because they were friends with this guy i'd met because i think they went to school with him or something and they were like oh we we don't really want to play on this team um we think we'd be a really good fit with you guys do you want to make a team and go in on the monday so we ended up with this this bot lane that had previously got to the finals the year before 
uh and and at this point i'm still gold right like yeah and uh and then we won so so we actually got the spot so then it was like damn this is crazy like i'm playing for a city when i'm like gold so then i was like okay i i can't be gold going into this right like Mm -hmm. and i kind of i felt this pressure because it was like i had these other players who were ridiculously talented i think um at the time, there was two Diamond 3 players um, with a, a Diamond 1 and Diamond 2. Um, and then me, Gold 5 <laughs> at the time. So um, what ended up happening is I was like, right, I, I, I've got all this pressure now. I need to need to perform. So I went crazy on learning. Uh, I was like, right, I need to learn how to do this. I need to learn how to do that. And eventually, I ended up getting a really good climb off. And I think within about 10 days, uh, I went from gold five to diamond five. Wow. Uh, which, so I was like, okay, you know, maybe maybe this uh, coaching thing is is pretty beneficial, you know. <laughs> if, if these players that are, you know, really good, but not even actual coaches can, can coach me from gold to diamond in that kind of short space of time, you know. So I knew coaching was valuable from that point, but... And so then I was, you know, a Diamond 5 player. I felt like I kind of fitted in a little bit more with the team. Ramos one trick. Gotta love it. Um, Mm. And then, fun fact, I think I only got Ramos in a single game in that next season. And the only game was in a semi... No, was in the finals game. uh, And we smashed them and it got banned for the next season entirely. Uh, So, yeah, but it it was fun. Um, And so it, it was... It wasn't the biggest tournament, right? But one of the things that it did actually provide me with is in uh, one of the seasons, they were like, okay, well, there's a huge gaming event in the UK called Insomnia, which um, they had direct connections to so that they could host the finals of this kind of city versus city tournament that we have um, on the big stage. So that was kind of my first experience on the big stage. There's still a video somewhere. And uh, in the in the depths of the internet um, of us being on stage and kind of having that experience. And to be honest, although that experience was amazing and it really did open my eyes to a lot of things like nerves on stage, stuff like that. I remember mm-hmm. I, I thought I'd need to go to the toilet and be sick at one point. I had butterflies. <laughs> I was so nervous. It was yep. horrific. I was looking over the monitor with these huge, huge cameras um just kind of recording us and stuff like that and um yeah it was it was very nerve-wracking i was like okay maybe maybe playing isn't for me and at this point i think uh the season after the highest i got on eus was like master tier and so i was like okay i'm not gonna be the next faker you know i'm not i'm gonna be able to put in enough time especially considering yeah, uh, it was coming to the end of my uni days as well, which I am a firm believer that in League of Legends, age does not matter. Mm-hmm. I think in some games, things like reflexes, stuff like that do actually have an effect, especially like FPSs and such. Yep. But I th- I feel like League is a game where age doesn't really matter. Um, there's not really that much that requires any form of reaction. Um, and a lot of the things that can happen, you can kind of... You can see in advance that the potential of them happening is there. So, you know, I, I don't think age is a big factor, but one of the big things I do actually think um, age impacts is purely the amount of time 
that you can actually invest into the game, right? So yeah. this is why you see these kind of um, 14, 15-year-olds popping up on Twitter, like a challenger, like you've got some incredibly talented people um, that are very young, like like Korean challenger players, stuff like that, uh, that are like 16, 17. So I, I feel like the, the thing that actually makes them so good is not that they're young, it's that the fact that their real-life kind of commitments are nowhere near as high as, say, a 25-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like a, a massive part of that is just being able to invest time. And, you know, I was coming to the end of my uni days. Uh, I think I was in my final year, and I was like, okay, well, I don't think I have enough time to invest into this full time to you know get to like challenger rank one whatever and so what i'm gonna do instead is i'm just gonna play a little bit more casually um i'm still gonna play in those kind of the smaller kind of city versus city tournaments and such but um i picked up a bit of a liking towards coaching which uh a a very a very uh talented um guy actually made a site called uh leagues.gg i don't know if you've heard of it leadcoaching.gg you know maybe you've heard of it maybe it's, yeah it rings a bell quite a while ago yeah maybe <laughs> but uh so yeah i actually started coaching on there for fun you know i wasn't really i wasn't charging anything for it i was just doing it as a you know i find this quite fun and i was using it to kind of meet other people in league because you know i i really enjoy league and i i really enjoy the kind of environment that you can create within the game so networking with people that are also you know very set on improving and stuff like that and kind of Mm -hmm. giving them it it was kind of my way of giving back right because i had that kind of network of these really talented players that had basically coached me up to a a, a somewhat good rank and i was like you know i i'd like to be able to give that back to other people so i started just coaching for free there i became one of the uh higher i think i was one of the most bucked for a while um i had a lot of coaching and stuff through there you know just for free as a hobby uh and then gamer sensei actually bought the site out obviously and that's how i ended up on gamer sensei um all those years back so it it kind of uh went from me just playing you know uh you know a somewhat decent level you know there were there were for example like a challenger player in that tournament and you know there were there were a few like master tier players and stuff like that so mm-hmm. it wasn't like the skill of the tournament was ridiculously low or anything but it was still very much an amateur tournament right like it yeah. was very much just for fun um but it was it was a great um intro to getting into the esports scene i guess and absolutely starting as a player yeah. So going back to the coaching a little bit, then when you were on the league coaching website, what kind of caused you to start charging? So, um, I mean, like present me will, would probably have shouted up past me for this, but <laughs> I never had any intention on charging at first. Um, I didn't really consider it as a career option. Um, at that point, because it was, for me, it was fun. And it was something I was doing as a hobby. Yeah. But back then in season seven, like it, it, it wasn't really a, 
or season six, seven, so 2016 or 17, esports wasn't this big giant. Um, it was kind of, there were some uh, little sparks, like, for example, world finals, stuff like that, started packing mm-hmm. out some pretty big stages, but it wasn't a, a something you look at and go, okay, I'm going to have a career in this. So, like, I was still very much getting my computer science degree, um, and my plan was to continue and go on to be an IT consultant, stuff like that. So uh, for me, it wasn't a career option at first. And then um, it kind of just slowly ended up slotted in place and then kind of went from there, really. Awesome. So what would you say is your personal style of coaching then that you've developed over the years? Uh, So originally at first it was very much i was a player not a coach um so it was very much just you know this is what i do in this situation stuff like that uh, as the years progress and obviously as gamer sensei started picking up some traction and i started growing um because even within gamer sensei it was uh i started off very late to the to the party i'd say and there are a lot of very very big names um within the site that you know i was like i'll never get close to them but then um i ended up due to the fact that like the 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 money wasn't really a a thing for me i remember charging the lowest amount i possibly could um i'm purely just using it as a way to get traffic in uh and from there i was like okay well there's a lot of interest for the coaching and even though, you know, I'm a player right now, like it's potentially something that I focus on a bit more. So um, I ended up kind of saying, okay, well, I'll start learning how to teach uh, and I'll start kind of looking into the actual teaching side of things rather than just kind of giving advice. Uh, And then slowly as the years went on, I kind of realized that there was a lot more to being a coach than mm-hmm. just being able to play the game. Yep. Um, I started to see a lot of the big glaring kind of issues that actually persisted within the League of Legends community, especially kind of sensitive topics as well with, with things like mental health. And when you have this kind of these players and coaches that are younger as well, mm-hmm. that don't really know how to kind of, deal with such sensitive subjects it becomes kind of a a a niche that nobody wants well not a niche a an area that nobody really wants to deal with and they kind of just tiptoe around it but this is the thing you find when you're in a position where you're you're dealing with these things on such a a regular basis you have to kind of take that responsibility yeah and actually help in those subjects because it's like if everybody just keeps tiptoeing around it then it's it just ends up getting worse and worse and then it kind of festers and you've got nobody that's put a lot of time and stuff like that into it and especially with esports one of the things is a lot of people that are kind of experienced in dealing with these things often uh of kind of the older generation that still don't really see esports as this kind of viable concept right like all of the kind of people that are really trained when it comes to kind of mental health, stuff like that, either they don't really see, well, most of the time, actually, they don't even know esports exists. Yeah. Yep. 
like it's 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 such a common thing that kind of people are like oh esports that's a thing especially i found this recently more than most if anything because obviously a lot of the time i'll say get taxis and stuff like that uh, from say work or to work and a lot of the time they'll be like oh you you work at the college and i'm like well yeah and then they'll be like okay what do you what do you teach and i'm like esports and they're like well what is that and it, even like other kind of tutors and stuff around the college as well, they they're like esports. What is that? I was speaking to one of the learned support assistants not long ago that didn't even know that competitive gaming was a thing. Yeah. So you get this kind of situation where the people that are trained to help with those things either don't know it exists or they don't know there's a need. Yeah. Or the other kind of issue is that there's there's not really that much money and this is kind of one of the things that people don't realize about esports is sure you have these huge teams at the top that are spending you know 10 million a year on play like millions and millions on players and contracts but that's at the very top and even those teams spending millions they're they're a loss like there's very few kind of esports teams and orgs that actually operate at a profit which is crazy right yeah like you'd think with esports being this huge kind of uh, sensation that it, it exists, but it, it actually doesn't because even though it's growing very, very fast, it's still ridiculously small in the kind of grand scheme of things, yep. uh, especially compared to like other big industries. Like, look at the the computer and tech industry. Like, that's uh, like yeah. completely nowhere. And esports will never get to that, obviously, yeah. because. It's like there's actually yeah yeah and it's still figuring out a lot of monetization models too so yeah still super early yeah. days yeah exactly and also like a lot of the people that are in these kind of positions they they ended up in those positions because they were just around in esports yep. <laughs> when it started so not necessarily the most really qualified yeah exactly so and it's like it's not their fault obviously mm -hmm. but you don't really have these big kind of people coming in and being like, okay, I've got all this money. I'm going to throw it somewhere and get this going because it's like you have to like businesses don't like, they want to see a return, right? Yeah. Like, and when esports is like, you might see a big return in 10 years. It's like, <laughs> nobody really wants to budget towards yeah. giving a ton of money to get returned in 10 years. Right. Unless they've already got yep. so much money. Like, exactly. Yeah, Thank you. So it's, it's very difficult to kind of tackle a lot of these problems within esports when there's not really that much money, and especially when you see teams, you you see teams in like Division One leagues, in which in Europe is the highest league kind of tier that you can get before the franchise league, mm -hmm. which obviously LEC is the only way of getting in there is to actually buy a spot, which is I think the last spot that was sold was for about thirty million, which. Uh, they were originally sold 10 millage yep. and i remember i used to get this question all the time people were like oh i've got an org you know i want to i want to make it big as a as an org like how, how much how would i get into lec and you have to <laughs> tell them that you can't and i remember for a long time they were like oh well how much is it for these franchise spots and i was like well in my opinion I'd say they're probably at around 30 million each. And people used to go, no, you're crazy. Like, they sold for 10 million. Like, there's no way they're above, like, 15 max. Uh, and I remember going, no, no, I, I bet you, like, if you if a, a spot was to go on sale, you're looking about 30 million. And I think the the last spot that was sold actually sold for something around 32 million from recollection. Mm. So I was like, 
Yeah, see, it's yeah, like people often overlook kind of the the value of those spots because at the end of the day, it's it's like an investment for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Like it's it's not really something that's going to make you money, but in a in the future maybe. But the problem is all of the money in the esports industry is all around that kind of top area. So then you get this whole kind of section below that is completely starved of money and you get um projects like um like where orgs will come and they will just invest cash and they will buy their way to the top and that's a viable strategy and that's one of the best ways that orgs can actually climb especially within europe i'm not entirely sure about america but within europe for sure yeah so Setting aside the cash aspect, then you were talking about, you know, improving yourself outside of League. You know, what were some of the resources yeah. that you used to, you know, improve that part? So uh, a lot of it was obviously online. Uh, a lot of kind of articles, videos, um, a lot of kind of stuff like just educational channels, stuff like that. A lot of the resources that you actually need are actually available quite freely. Uh, and you know you don't really need but uh, you can also consult with other professionals who you know have been doing it a lot longer and I think one of the biggest kind of stigmas that you have to get rid of when it comes to league is asking people for help right yeah. like it's, it, it's it's people people never want to like they they've a lot of people are in this mindset of if you ask somebody else for help that automatically means that you don't know what you're doing, right? Like if you if you were to message somebody, like even the basic things, right? Like for example, going back to league, even if say there's like a matchup or something that you know I'm not really too sure of or stuff like that, the the first thing I'll do is reach out to somebody that's you know either within my network or sometimes not even within my network, and I end up becoming friends with people through this kind of conversation about the game even if it's things like oh well how is this matchup here like how is this start how is this kind of opening build like mm -hmm. so a lot of people just don't really want to ask for help and that's kind of one of the biggest kind of issues because esports is kind of like the wild west right it's it's every man for himself well that's what how a lot of people think of it and slowly we have to get rid of that kind of uh, and realize that esports is i always say this esports is about collaboration Esports is an area where you can meet people that you would never in a million years meet in your life and collaborate on things and create things and build projects that, you know, you'd never usually get your hands into. So for me, learning these things was about finding the resources online, using the resources that are already out there, and then, you know, forming my own opinions uh based by obviously facts and such that i'd found online and kind of going from there and then you know if there was something i weren't sure about i'd message somebody that would know about it and be like well uh i've heard you know you should drink this amount of water is this accurate and they'd be like well yes no and stuff like that so you kind of build on your knowledge base uh like that by just you know fantastic for help and find finding people's opinions like yeah. people get paid to do these things and they're more than happy to help out, but nobody really asks them. Yeah. They have so many connections and friends now 
in all different walks of life that I'd never usually have. And a lot of it just starts with a simple question, you know, and then you end up building relationships and networking and it becomes ridiculously valuable over time. Yep. Yeah. And that's definitely one other way to approach it too. Like, don't think of it as like, you know, you're showing weakness. It's no, you're trying to engage with other people. Yep. And also too, because then, you know, if you ask someone else for help, then other people might be more willing to come and ask you for help. And that's yep. the way you, you again can kind of pay it back. And I'm sure too, yeah, exactly. with a lot of people, it, it might even be a bit of an ego thing. So you kind of have to like set aside yeah, your ego yeah. and be like willing to admit that, you know, maybe I don't know everything or there's something here that I can yeah. learn. And so, you know, kind of just that mindset of like continuously learning and always trying yeah. to improve will just get you so much further. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, I mean, it can be hard, right? Like I, I will put my hands up and admit that sometimes I can be the most stubborn person ever. <laughs> Um, but like, sometimes you have to, even, even if it's like, I've had times, especially when I first started where I'd been like, no, 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 this, this isn't a thing. Like it can't be like, no, I I don't believe in this. And then even later that night, I've been like, Hmm, actually now I think back on it, maybe I wasn't entirely in the right and stuff like that. And then, you know, I've, uh, over the years I managed to then kind of evolve as a person and kind of go back to those people and re-engage them conversations and be like, well, I, I think I was a bit too stubborn or a bit too firm in these situations. And, you know, like I want to talk about it more and yeah, going through that kind of process is one of the most important things you could do because it's like, you're constantly in a point where you're evaluating your own weaknesses as a person and then learning on them and kind of evolving over time. Right. Yep. And, I mean, I'd say I've been in this industry now, what, around uh, maybe five years, a kind of like a, like a professional level, like a, like a this is my career kind of level. And a lot, it, it, I've seen so many people come and go over the years purely because they were just too headstrong or they just couldn't accept that they weren't always right or you know like they they couldn't accept that they'd said or done something that you know wasn't necessarily correct and stuff like that and you see a lot of people that have a lot of potential that just kind of like refuse to evolve mm -hmm. and when you're in such a an industry that's so quick to evolve and so quick to kind of throw people out like you have to become adaptable right yep. you have to be able to adapt with what the industry is and that's probably one of the biggest things that i find that coaches just don't do yeah like they just don't adapt and so i mean you are kind of in a unique situation here where you know you're actually starting to you know professionally teach these kinds of yeah. things so is that the thing that you would say is the most important skill for an esport coach to learn is the adaptability or is there something 100%. like a higher level no 100 percent. like being able to adapt and evolve to what's happening is crazy and obviously i can't speak out of turn about other games because they're not kind of my area of expertise but when you've got a game like league where every two weeks they're patching it right like yeah. every two weeks something changes and if you refuse to adapt uh to those changes then you're just going to stagnate and i know some coaches that i've worked with even coaches i've worked under um who well, like don't get me wrong i've had some coaches i've worked under that were amazing and i've learned so much from them which i feel like when you are starting as well working under other coaches that are already established is one of the best things that you can actually do because mm. 
you pick up so much from them and it's it's even if you don't pick something up from them like often you'll be like okay well they're doing it like this but maybe i'd like to do it like that and sometimes you'll put that into practice and you'll be completely wrong and you'll be like okay well they were doing it right like i'm wrong you know <laughs> but then sometimes it'll go right and you'll be like okay well i'm uh, you know uh, this is something that i can use now and i pass on and very cool kind of uh, adapt to you but yeah like adaptation is so important and you see this all the time even in kind of professional games at like the highest level you see this often where they'll be so adamant on sticking to one thing that they'll miss so many opportunities that could really make a big difference Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely this is i'd say this is especially important with things like drafting right where you get the same pieces and it's you versus that other coach. And for me, drafting is probably one of the most fun. I, I love the concept around it. It's kind the of like... mini game, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like... Drafting to me is like chess, but for coaches, right? Like, it, it's kind of like, okay, well... How are, are you going to choose your pieces to represent you compared to how the enemy are? And then even if, say, for example, you realize, okay, well, I have been outdrafted here... Like, it's then also a case of saying, well, even though their draft would be better at this, this, and this, how can we now adapt the pieces that we already have to counter that or to beat that or to get an advantage? And that's also another really big thing to being a coach, right, is the drafts are incredibly important. And if you can get an advantage for your team through drafting alone, like, they're in a very, very good spot, right? But you also have that flip side that... Sometimes you'll go against some really talented coaches and they'll catch you off guard with something. You'll be like, oh, we haven't prepared for this or we haven't planned for this. Like, what what do we do yeah. there? And and kind of that being able to evaluate it is, is also really, really important, which again comes back to the adaptation, right? Because it's like, how are you going to adapt? And yep. there's a lot of coaches, especially at the highest level, where they don't want to take a risk of playing something that everybody doesn't agree is strong and stuff like that. And there's, I'm a very firm believer that, let's say, for example, you have this, this roster of, say, 10 S-tier champions of whatever sort. Sometimes, like an A-tier champion will actually fit in better than an S-tier champion. Mm-hmm. And then by using that, you can actually get an advantage that way. So I feel like there's a lot of untapped potential within league and a lot of stuff that people just completely overlook but at the same time i can understand why right because it's like if you're playing at the highest level there's so much pressure on you and in a world where security is never guaranteed it's like do you want do you really want to be that guy that pulls out a a pick and gets completely railed for it on socials and stuff like that because there's so many huge personalities that are pretty toxic and have some pretty toxic even if the personality isn't toxic a lot of the fan bases and stuff will be because that's just kind of the environment that league has ended up festering and so a lot of the times like you'll see coaches on twitter that or, or players getting called out and kind of uh, flamed and such for wanting to have a certain pick or do something in a certain way that the the general community doesn't deem the best. And that's kind of one of the biggest issues with esports right now, I think. It's like you don't, a lot of the people at the top don't want to take those risks because the potential 
reward from them risks just doesn't outweigh the potential risk, right? It's like, yeah. okay, if that pick goes well, great. The best scenario that can come out of that is that other people will start picking it and it'll kind of go around, stuff like that. But the worst case scenario is that people then attribute that bad pick or that bad decision in draft with you as a coach. And then at that point, then it's kind of like you could potentially lose your job on a on a team, like especially some of the big, or maybe not big, uh, especially some of the orgs that exist that a lot of the kind of staff and management structures and stuff like that, they don't really understand the game, no matter how much they watch the game or, or do such, they don't understand it to a high level. So they'll see something, and if they've been told by one person that it's bad, they might be, you know, if they like that person, they might believe them that yeah. this is bad. Even, even if it isn't, and you have evidence that it's good through, you know, like, you, you never want, like, results-based evidence, right? Because there's too many factors. But if you have evidence of this is good because of this, 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 and you can replicate that and show it, that, that doesn't matter in a lot of situations because people still, you know, they don't understand why and that's another kind of skill that you really need as a coach you need to be able to do something and then be able to explain why you've done it and break it down so that almost anybody can understand and then also accept that even in that scenario you still won't have people understand why these certain things are good right especially when you pick something you know a bit, a yeah, bit iffy a little and, out there <laughs> and it, yeah, yeah a little odd like you know you pull out something like a gangplank mid yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Oh, hmm, this uh, this is potentially terrible." And it's like, "Well, well, no. If you break it down, yeah, you'll see that it's viable and actually really good here because this, this, and this." But so. you end up in these situations where, yeah, yeah. people are. Well, I mean, it's like it's kind of on the orgs, right? To like you, you got to give a little bit more flexibility and like you know the room to try and potentially fail. And yeah. it all comes down to like you know, do you trust your coach? And if you do, then you know, you yeah. need to step back out of the way and let, you know, the expert run it. And that, that type of thing gets a lot easier when you actually are bringing in experts into the room and not just, you know, yeah. the friend of a friend who's going to play the absolute safest thing, yeah. only sticks to tier list, like you said, and, you know, never does, yeah. you know, anything. You know, it sounds yeah. a little mean, but, you know, never brings an original thought into the team environment. Yeah, they, they never want to take a risk. Yeah. Like, they, they a lot of the times, esports is networking networking yep like networking is the biggest thing and it's like you can get people in positions that you know there is a better option in those positions but that person has networked themselves very well mm -hmm. or they've marketed their skills to a very high level and through that they've ended up in those positions which honestly fair enough like i, I think that when you're a coach and stuff like that you have to be able to make those relations and oh, you have yeah. to be able to make that network and you have to be able to prove to somebody that you're providing value without them being able to understand what that value looks like entirely. And that's one of the biggest problems I find. Like, yeah. it's very difficult. And like you said, like, it's very much, uh, you do get the top teams that will get these professionals in, stuff like that. But a lot of league is also about how you see it. Like, everybody sees league in a different way. Everybody understands it a different way and there's there's no one solution to league right like there's so many different um angles that you can take and there's so much kind of perspective like there's so many different things that you can do or implement that 
it, it's it's there's no right or wrong. There's only like obviously you do get facts like this champion does this amount of damage or this champion likes to play like this, but you often find that sometimes you'll just get players that'll pull out a champion in a certain way and you'll be like, Wow, this this champion is insane. Like and yep. you, you do get that in some situations. Like my favorite example of this is Froggen, who um, I I don't know if uh, a lot of the newer generation even know who Froggen is because you know he hasn't been as big of a kind of entity as he used to be. But Froggen was was basically a guy that could take a Nivea, um, who was a, a ridiculously under undervalued champion by mm-hmm. a lot of people in the community, and he could make it so that every single game that you were against Froggen, Anivia would get banned because he was just so good on that champion yep. that he would just completely dismantle an entire team, and you, you see this still a lot of the times with some players that play certain things, especially when you look at things like the like the Korean solo queue ladder, right, and you get people that are just kind of so insanely talented on a certain thing that even if it isn't meta, they can make it meta, you know? Like, they can very heavily climb with it and, and kind of perform. And uh, e- even if you do have these players, like, sometimes you'll you'll get really kind of lucky and you'll get one of those players on your team. Uh, I've had multiple of them over the year, like, years, where they will they will have such an understanding of something that you can... You can pick it, and they will, you know, still pop off. One of my favorite examples of this is a few years ago, I worked with a very talented uh, mid laner um, who was a very, very good Zed player. And Zed is usually like a champion that he doesn't get picked as often because he's an assassin, so, you know, he's on kind of like a timer to get things done in the game, and if he doesn't, he's going to, you know, his value is going to fall off quite heavily compared to others. Uh, but also there's a lot of counters to Zed. So I still remember um, being in a game, and this was like a very important game. I think it was like a, like the finals of a qualifier. Uh, and this player said to me, uh, you know, you can pick Zed here. And I was like, are you sure? Because Zillion, for example, mm-hmm. is still open, and they can just pick it here. And I, I have a very strong feeling that they will. And he was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, if they pick Zillion, I'll, I'll still pop off. And I was like, when your champion relies on just 100 to zeroing one person, and then you also have another champion against them that can then revive that person, and yeah. all your damage is gone, it's very risky, right? But he was so adamant and so confident in it uh, that I was like, well, okay. Like, you know yourself, and you know you've, you've had a lot of really good performances. I'll, I'll go with it. And we ended up picking it, and he completely dismantled the enemy team. Like, it didn't even matter. They did pick the Zillion. Ah. Um, like, they picked yeah. it straight away in response. Uh, and he just completely dismantled the entire enemy team still. So it was like, you know, a lot of the times you do have these kind of players that can that can really perform on things that you would never really expect a lot of players to perform on. And when you have the players with with a very open mind that are willing to try things, that's kind of like the best position for you to be in as a coach, to be honest. Like, you obviously want people that will also believe in your vision, but a lot of the times uh, when you do find those players that are very open-minded and they're not really stuck in their ways, that's like gold as for a coach, to be honest. Yeah. So 
with the most useful skill being adaptability, what's the most important piece of advice you would give to a brand new esports coach? Um, the biggest, most important piece of advice I would give is definitely network. Like, your network is going to be absolutely everything within um, league. I, I remember when I first started coaching. Like, I didn't really put any value on it. I didn't have socials. I don't, well, I, I didn't have socials that I actually used frequently anyway. I didn't have a community, nothing like that. And then over the years, I was like, I, I'm really not going to get very far if I don't start picking these things up. So, you know, I learned how to network, like things like LinkedIn and a Discord community and kind of networking through Twitter and stuff like that. And then that's kind of one of the most important things, to be honest, is just having that there because you're never going to know, like you're never going to know when something's going to pop up or you're going to get a team offer because a player that you previously worked with has ended up in a, in a, a division where, you know, they, they want to get you in and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And like, you'll go in and you'll perform stuff like that. And as long as you can keep up to that level, like it's super valuable. Yep. Like sometimes you'll have people that you've worked with. I, I've got a a student, or well, I, I still call him a student, um, in my community who uh, I met him as a player. I, I coached him in solo queue, uh, and now he's you know working. Well, I found out today actually. Now he's working in Division One uh, as a performance coach. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's it's crazy the amount of times that you'll actually get those situations where somebody that you've met three or four years ago, you've ended up getting a bond with, a friendship with, and then before you know it, they're in a ridiculously um, good spot in kind of like the esports industry and stuff. So having that kind of community or network of people that, you know, you're friendly with and that you you've kind of worked with is incredibly valuable because they end up going into places and then you end up going into places and it's like, okay, I'm on this team now. I need a performance coach or I need an assistant coach, stuff like that. So I can go, okay, well, these are people I've worked with previously that have been really good. And then, you know, you'll reach out to them. Sometimes they'll already be on teams and sometimes they'll already be taken. And sometimes they'll be like, oh no, I'm looking right now. And then all of a sudden you've got somebody else in with you and stuff like that. Yep. So it, it's, it's esports' greatest weakness, but also your greatest strength as kind of somebody within the industry is kind of having that ability to kind of work with people that you enjoyed working with or, or kind of get people into positions that they might not have even been considered for, you know? So it's it definitely has its positives and negatives, but with esports being what it is, it's kind of one of the kind of things that just happens, you know? Yeah. Well, Reese, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure to chat with you. So where can uh, people find you online if yeah. they want to connect? Yeah, so uh, obviously my Twitter, YouTube. So Twitter is just Coach Kyber. YouTube is slash Coach Kyber. My Discord is just .gg slash Kyber. Um, so yeah, any of those kind of places, feel free to come along and yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.